0: The mules are in the corral. Welcome to Mule Talk, and I'm Cindy K. Roberts, your host. On this episode of Mule Talk, we have back our author, TV personality, and world-renowned mule trainer, Meredith Hodges of the Lucky Three Ranch. Welcome back. Thank you. Glad to be back. I'm excited for having you as our featured guest because you are sensational.
1: Well, thanks a lot. I just, every day, it's, it's not work. It's fun with me with these mules, and it's because of the way that I've learned to interact with them, and believe me, that took a long time. But they are exceptional. And that's what makes them so much fun.
0: So let's talk about that. You wrote an article, Why Mules Are Exceptional. So share that with us.
1: Okay, I will. We talked about a little bit of this, I think, when we uh, did the uh, desensitization interview we talked about how developing their bodies is really important they are different from horses they uh, have a lot of smooth muscle but that improves their agility and their athletic ability so that's one of the things that makes mules exceptional right off the bat um you know, they used to use called mares when they were breeding for mules, so the mules look kind of kind of lumpy and not very pretty and everything, so everybody would prefer to ride a horse than a mule. Um, but these days, people are using high-quality mares to breed these mules from, and, and you'll see these mule babies running with their mothers and just going absolutely nuts and doing all kinds of things that horse babies if they tried to do it would just fall down. You know, they'd slip and slide and everything. But the mules, boy, they they can just get out there and move and, and the one thing that's really true about them too is when they're born they can get on their feet really fast. And that's you know, we talked about NI and that's why it's really important to catch your mule baby really fast and get that muzzle on him if he's an NI baby. Because they are strong, they are durable, and they're ready to eat when they're ready to eat. They inherit so many different qualities from the mare, but they also inherit the best qualities from the jack. And that is his muscle structure, because donkeys have long, long muscle, and not bulk muscle like horses do, and the bulk muscle actually restricts their agility uh you know in the horse and that's why they're so much better than horses when it comes to athletic ability and all that if you have a mammoth jack and you use them on your mares, you're going to get more thickness of bone. A lot of people think, oh, the big jack, they're going to get a taller mule, but that's not the case. They get their height primarily from the mare, and they get the thickness of bone from the jack. And so if you're breeding for a pack mule, it's really good to have that thick bone, and you can breed from any size mare. You know, But if you're talking about having athletic ability, like I was in the beginning, I wanted to see if they were really agile and athletic enough to really compete in horses or compete with horses in all the different events that horses were doing. Because when I started out, meals were primarily for farming. Packing and pulling, and that, that was it. Right. You know, and with the industrial age and tractors taking their places, I was afraid that they weren't going to have a place in modern America unless they could become a recreational equine. Right. I began my career by just starting out and doing the things that horses do with the simplest of things, which was Gymkhana. But and and I tried, you know, teaching them to run the barrel patterns, run the pole bending patterns, and they would run straight through the barrels and right past the barrel, (laughs) and right through the poles and right past the poles. They wouldn't turn around (laughs) and go back. And and I thought, oh, this is not working out well. (laughs) But that's when (laughs) that's when I discovered that. They have an alpha personality. They are very durable animals and will always protect themselves. They have a very strong sense of self-preservation. And no doubt, they probably thought, well, I'm going to sprain my ankle if I go that fast around (laughs) these stupid things. You know, which kind of turned me on to the fact that maybe I should be preparing my athlete to do these things and not jumping right into it, (laughs) you know, so I had to slow down. And I discovered that the only way to start developing good posture and core muscle was through leading training. And then after I graduated two years of doing all this groundwork, then when I finally did go on, it was through dressage, and they do things very slowly, and although horses tend to progress through their their levels, uh, usually... You know, you can go through, uh, like, training level, for instance, has four tests. And in the four tests, it'll take you a quarter on each test. Well, with the mules, I found it took me two years and six months to do each test, not three months, six months. Oh. So I was spending two years at every level, but I was perfecting it when I did it and I wasn't really progressing all that fast, but I was getting the results and I was getting excited by watching my mules out there in the pasture during turnout and all the different things that they could do when they were out there playing and how their balance was improving, which only made all their antics that much more interesting. I found out that my Arabian mules, for instance, could do a capriole. They were out there and galloping around, launching themselves into the air and kicking each other. I thought, that wow. is a dressage Ote okay, Cole move. Uh-huh. So that tells me that if I can harness that in any way, you know, of course, they're always the ones in charge. You know. <laughs> so I thought, well, if I'm patient enough and I can wait and I can do all the steps leading up to that, you know, and get them to do that stuff on the drive lines, then the next step is putting my weight on their back and asking them to do it. And granted, I never reached quite that level. I got to fourth-level dressage, which was when they were doing different things like passage and piaf, which is trotting in place, trotting slow motion, and then doing canter pirouettes, which are... Similar to raining spins, but they're much harder to do because where the animal plants a pivot foot in a reining spin, in a canter pirouette, you need to keep the canter motion behind as well as in front. So you don't plant that foot, but you got to canter these minute. Little circles with the hindquarters, wow. while you're allowing the front end to go ahead and do it, and and I thought, well, this is you know, I was finding fun in every level that I did because I love music, and I I ultimately wanted to dance with my dressage mule. Oh yeah, and and as I was progressing, we played music during our workouts. So that we could get balance and rhythm and cadence to whatever it was we were doing, even the leading exercises, however boring, it was a lot less boring when we were doing it to music, you know, so i I kind of found the things that I could do at the boring levels, and oh my God, from second level to well from first level actually was the hardest through second level and it didn't start getting really fun in dressage until i hit third level because i did so many circles it it was just tedious and i was going oh god when can i stop doing circles (laughs) well when you are (laughs) <laughs> when you're balanced on a circle. Yeah. And and uh, my sisters were skaters and they were doing this thing called patch. And it was just learning to balance on the single blade on your ice skates, but it was doing circles. So I, I found the purpose by, you know, asking my sisters questions. Why are you doing these boring circles on the blade? And it's to get the balance perfect. And when you do that, then you've got perfect core strength around those bones of all the elements, not just the muscles, but the tendons, the ligaments, and in the joints where they bend, it's it's wearing the cartilage evenly so it doesn't wear out in spots and start causing arthritis, you know? And, And so here I have these exceptional animals that are durable, don't have to eat as much, so that's also why I can have all my equines on the same feed program with just uh smaller amounts for their size is really about it, but they're getting the nutrition that they need. Their oats are not increased because that's that's not necessarily where they get their energy. they mm. get their energy from their vitamins mm, and and I put vitamins in the oats mix, but I use just enough oats. To put those vitamins in and have them go ahead and ingest them, I found keeping their their hooves really hard was a real kind of an exercise in futility. As long as I was trying to to buy uh, grain that supposedly was supposed to give them all the nutrients that they needed, but it was not. It was getting their feet soft, and I thought, well, this isn't very good. So I just said well okay let's just how about we just stay at the one and a half cups to two cups of the oats no corn barley and all of those other grains that they try to put in those mixes corn is really bad for them it's very hot and you got to remember these guys are desert animals and they do well on the prairie and in the desert uh, because the things that they eat are keeping their bodies healthy, and particularly their feet. Their feet need to stay hard, because if they start collapsing, uh, they're in trouble. Right. You know, and and donkeys particularly are in sand all the time. They're in wet weather because they're on the desert. They do get into the high country where there's rocks, and uh, they're built for this kind of endurance. You know, and and just ultimate vigor in their whole makeup that that uh, their bodies are built for all this hardship and keeping their feet really nice and healthy and hard is, a, you know, hard to do. But I discovered that just putting Missoula corn oil in their oats and I only put an ounce in the saddle mules, a quarter ounce in the minis, my vet tried you know, when we got my 41-year-old Franklin mini-mule and we were trying to keep him going, uh, the vet said, oh, well, he's he's dropping weight a little bit. How about we put some more corn oil in his food because that's got a lot of, you know, fat in it and it'll make him fat. Well, it didn't make him fat. It made him greasy. What? <laughs> and I thought, well, <laughs> oh, no. yeah, it did. It was too much oil. Oh. It was too much oil and it made him greasy and then he started eating wood and he got you know he got these really weird things that he wanted to do so i did it for a little while but i cut him back on it and put him back on the regular schedule of a quarter ounce for a mini mule and But he was 41 years old and he was on his way out. I bought him when he was 20 oh. and he was a show meal, okay. you know, he was a show <laughs> meal, parade meal. And he had a lot of years where he wasn't in good posture and breaking all those things apart at 20 years old was, it was great that we were able to actually do it and put him in good posture, and he was in good posture, but he had been stressed, and when they're stressed in in the better part of their lives, uh, it's really hard to get that core strength to start coming on when their age is dictating that the muscles are losing tone, and that means it's harder to uh, really build that up when it's on its way out. And I rescued two of my own mules that went out when they were three, and I got them back when they were oh gosh, they must have been seventeen uh sixteen and seventeen years old and Those two mules died when they were twenty eight but they still did better you know than the average because the average lifespan for a mule these days uh with The normal way of maintaining them is from 20 to 25 years, Mm -hmm. and that's increased from the life expectancy of horses before, which was 15 to 20,
0: Right.
1: you know, so it is moving up, but with the development of the core strength, there was added value to these two meals lives you know, going beyond 20 to 25 to 28 years old. And the ones I've got now are living well into their 30s. Their average lifespan now is about 34, 35 years old. And in Franklin's case, he made it all the way to 41 after being, you know, compromised and out of good posture for 20 years. Hmm. you know so it does make a difference all these different things that you do with them the other thing that the jack contributes is the intelligence and the intelligence in these guys is just extraordinary and I'm finding that that there are very few introverted mules if they are introverted it's because of the way that they're maintained you know a lot of people think they can just go ahead and throw them in a big pen or a big pasture and and then they don't have as much to clean up they try to lower their own workload and in doing so uh they compromise the eagerness and and the the exceptional interest of the mule they dampen his sense of humor and they dampen his his desire to play because when the pen gets dirty and they think oh well you don't care so I don't care so then their way of humor, you know, their sense of humor and humbling you is to spread that manure all over the place oh, yeah. so that when you have to clean it up <laughs> it's a major chore <laughs> you know but if you clean it up every day then they go oh she cares about me I will make it easier for her I'll just go in one place you know, I have a lot of people that, <laughs> that ask me, how do I train my mule to go in one place well it's not exactly like that it's not how do you train your mule how do you let your mule train you
0: right you know
1: because if you're doing the right things then he will do the things that you want him to do and and so if you clean that pen up, you know, nine times out of ten, he's only going to go in that one place. And he, if you have a stall and run and you leave it open and you don't pen him up in the stall, then he won't mess up the stall. He'll use it for a bedroom. And if you want to shorten your workload by not putting very much sawdust or, you know, shavings in the stall... I don't recommend putting straw in the stall. That's really hard to clean up. Yeah, uh, I do that for the brood mares, but I don't. I, I don't do that for you know everyday animals, riding animals. We use shavings. Pine shavings are. Healthy And, yeah, they nibble on them a little bit. But if you're feeding them right, they won't even do that. And if you don't confine them to the stall, they definitely won't do that. They'll go out in the pen and amuse themselves out there. But what they will do is they will just mess the stall up. And then that makes people think, well, I don't want to put very many shavings in here because they're just peeing and pooping in here and spreading it all around and then I have to empty the whole stall but if you leave the stall door open they will use the stall as a place to sleep and if the bedding is thick enough it will be comfortable for them and they won't want to mess it up with poop and pee mm, Right. they will save that and that's where they will sleep. And so, you know, it's like we were talking about too, don't put obstacles in their sleeping areas and their they're lounging areas like their stalls and runs. And, you know, with donkeys, I never turn them out. I have big yards for them to go out and play with each other that are pea graveled, so it's got good drainage, so that they don't have to stand around in the mud either. We don't like it when they go and roll in the puddles, although they will do that. You know, if they have nowhere else to go, sometimes they can really get themselves covered from head to foot with slimy mud. And then you look at it and you go, "Oh, I want to go riding, but I don't want to groom that." You know, and about the only way to <laughs> the only way to groom that is to give them a bath, and right. that's not healthy right. in cold weather. Right. You know, yeah. so I have learned to. Uh, kind of look to them as to when they're going to be ridden. And, and I've adjusted their pens so that they ha- they always have a shed to go in under, whether they're turned out or whether they're, they're, you know, in their main holding areas. And we do the sheds and the stalls so that the ground is higher in in the sheds and the stalls and they have a place to go to stay dry and that way their feet don't get all mushy either from standing in all that moisture. Now in the sheds, we go ahead and build up the ground in the shed and it dump, it slopes out into the, you know, the other area and where it might, you know, it might actually get pretty wet from the rain cuz a lot of us have a lot of rain that comes down. But if the shed is higher and they have a place to get out of it, they will and it should be higher if that's where you're going to feed them that's what you got to do and and it's good if you if you don't have uh wall feeders in the shed then what uh, It's not safe to hang hay nets in there, but you can put standing feeders, but that's not the healthiest. Because if you notice, they're healthiest when they're allowed to graze with their heads down. And what that does, too, is it stretches their spine and keeps them from getting kissing spine. They need to spend a lot of time when they're grazing, when they're eating, with their heads down. So even if it's in a shed, a three-sided shed out there, I like to make the ground higher and then line the shed with rubber mats. Then you can put the hay down and they're not gonna be eating up the dirt or anything like that. And they're gonna be more prone to keep it clean in there because their hay is, turn, you know, staying clean. Although, when they're finished eating, they'll turn around and pee on it because that's claiming their territory and that's just a natural instinct. Yeah. So try not to feed them more hay than they need because all they're gonna do is spread it around, pee on it, and waste it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, to kind of cut that waste, they're intelligent animals you're dealing with here, you know, so you kind of got to play the game with them. Talking about playing, if you put those rubber mats in there and you don't fix it so that they don't slide easily, they'll drag the mats right out of the shit, you know, and drag them around the and play with them and all of that stuff. And then you come along and you go, why did you do that? And they'll just turn around and smile at you. you know? <laughs> so. What we do with that is right there where the at, at the end of the shed where it's open, we put in 2x12s across the whole front of it. And then when we grade the dart, we grade it down so that the mats are going to... And then we put the angle iron on the top of the 2x12s because they will chew on that wood but if they bite into metal they're less likely to do that they don't mind putting their head down to chew on it but if it's got metal on it it's like it sends a buzz through their teeth and they really don't care for that right. if the ground inside the shed is slightly lower than that 2 by 12 and sometimes you can use a 2 by 6 is is adequate enough you put that across the whole front of it and it will keep your mats from sliding out because it's really hard for them to pick up the mat and drag it over that that board You know, and we kind of do the same thing in the stalls. And in stalls, it's really important that it stays dry because if they accidentally do pee in there and it stays wet, then that's what they're going to do. They're going to pee in there again. So what we do is we auger a hole in the middle of the stalls, which is about two feet in diameter, and we take it down four feet. Then we fill it up with inch and a half rock to the level of the dirt. And then after we hit that level of the dirt, we put in four inches of pea gravel and we put our mats on top of that. And then at the doors of the stall, the one that goes out into the alleyway and the one that goes out the back, we use two by sixes in front of those doors to keep those mats from sliding out and to keep the pea gravel from falling out of the stall so that it keeps it all together but the stall floor is six inches higher than it is in the alleyway or that it is in in the run. No matter what happens, even if your barn floods down the alleyway, the stalls will not flood. Wow. They will drain properly, keep it dry in the stalls, and give your animal a place to go to keep those feet dry. It's really important to do that. And when you do those kinds of things, see. They're so smart that they realize what you're doing when you manage them like that. They go, "Oh, she really cares about me. That's so cool, you know <laughs> and And so it is a management issue. And then I found that when I was going to the, wanting to go to these shows and measure our, our progress and everything, because my mules were really happy, which meant they were progressing in their work a lot better, and they were progressing along, far beyond the normal trail riding and everything, because that's what I was challenging them with. And when I got into dressage and combined training, I needed a place to measure my progress. And that meant going to horse shows because the mule shows were fun shows.
0: Right. You know, and yeah. and
1: although they had judge classes and everything, none of us were like really schooled like they were in the horse shows. Mm-hmm. And and so I wanted to get in there but they didn't wanna let me in because I was riding a mule and they had all kinds of reasons for it. Your mule's gonna scare my horse. You know, and we're not we're not equipped to to compete against mules and it's gonna just make our shows not fun and everything and Then I went at him with the idea that well, my mule is half horse, so and your rules say horses, so <laughs> even though he's only half horse, he should be able to go in there. And I started a fight with them, and that oh was just boy. the wrong thing to do. Right.
0: So they asked my you mules to leave. Right.
1: Didn't let me come. <laughs> I couldn't just show up and be there. They right. wouldn't let me on the grounds. Right. You know, and and so I, I was thinking about what my mules had taught me about taking care of them properly. And I started thinking, well, you know, they're so superior to these horses. If they go in there and compete against the horses, then that makes the horses really compromised because they are going to win eventually we're going to get good enough in whatever discipline we're in and we're going to be better than them and I heard about Marister Farms Kit who was competing in combined training back in Kentucky and I also heard about Hambone at Fort down here, Fort Carson down in Colorado who went and, and competed against the horses in jumping and beat them all so badly that the American American Horse Show Association refused to let mules compete in jumping anymore. That oh. just wasn't going to happen. Yeah. And, and they explained to me that the reason was is that all these events that they had taken hundreds of years to organize and get, you know, get done happening in all these different areas all across the United States and then to turn around in the Olympics and compete against different countries. We needed our best riders and our best horses. And so they took a points system and put it in conjunction with all these shows they were doing. And all the upper levels, they couldn't let mules compete because they would offset the points system for the horses in selecting their best riders and their best horses to compete internationally in the Olympics, which was not about to let, uh, let a mule compete with the horses. Mm. That was never going to happen. And the way they explained it to me, it made a whole lot of sense. And so I thought, we need to, as mule industry, if we really want to do all this stuff, then we have to be polite and considerate and maybe get, get their permission to ride with them at the lower levels where the points weren't important and then just not ride at the upper levels against the horses at all. And so I started calling these organizers for these shows And asking them, can I please compete with you? You do realize that you are superior in all kinds of equestrian disciplines. And I want to get really good with my mules. And I want to take them to the ultimate heights that I can and see if we can really do it. But I'm not going to be able to do it unless I can measure my success with people that know how to do this. And that was the attitude that I went after when I talked to people and some people would let us in the shows and some people would not. And especially in the dressage and combined training world because they have the ultimate height of performance going on there. And uh, so I told him, I says, well, if you're afraid that it's going to upset the horses that I'm there with my mule, I know that mules smell differently and the horses are picking up on that. I know that the riders on these horses have a hard enough time controlling them and calming them down when horses are inherently spookier and flightier than mules are as a rule anyway because mules have that donkey freeze instinct and not always flight instinct Mm, so that makes them more alpha and i'm gonna stand my ground and gee i don't care if you're afraid of me or not In fact, it makes me laugh when you're afraid of me. (laughs) So I understood that about my mules, and I told him, I says, well, if you want me to go ahead and stay by my trailer until my name is called, I'm fine with that. You know, and I understand that in future, if we have some upper-level things, upper-level mules coming up, then we need to organize the same kinds of shows like you did and have like animals competing against like animals. And that started to happen at Bishop Mule Days. Once Lucky Three Sundowner and I got, made it to, to second level dressage, so I pitched to Bishop Mule Days that they put dressage classes into Bishop Mule Days and let the mules compete against each other and we did that there was another mule that was competing very well uh at these levels and chasing me and sundowner and she got the third level and we competed against her her name was dolly barton
0: oh yeah
1: um yeah we we still beat her at third level <laughs> the second time around but they only put that second le- or that second time around at bishop because i was now working at fourth level And I wanted to put a fourth level class in there, but they said, well, Dolly hasn't made it to that yet. (laughs) So you'd be competing against yourself. Right. And so we can't (laughs) just put the class in for you. Too bad, so sad. We're leaving uh, third level in there, and I competed against Dolly again because she did it in third level, but this time we beat her. (laughs) So it was really kind of interesting. They are exceptional, but... They're also you know, very intelligent, very smart. And as you're doing all of these upper-level things and all these details that they pay attention to in dressage, you begin to realize that you have to pr- improve your riding ability, which I learned when I started getting into these upper-level shows. And I learned that seeking the postural balance and getting their core strong made them able to follow my seat. So, you know, mules are just famous for being strong in the bridle. And when they don't like something, they run off. Right. But <laughs> when, you, <laughs> when you spend this kind of time on all the details and everything, there's an illumination that takes place. And as I was competing in all these different events over time like this, Jim Connor judged English and Western events and jumping and driving and everything. I began to realize that the way that my mule was moving was extraordinary. It was, it was he was getting stronger. All of them were getting stronger and they were launching themselves into suspension. So when I rode them, it was like floating over the ground. It wasn't like hitting ground at any time. Their toes would hit the ground and that would be about it. None of my mules were hard gated, none of them. When they went through this, They were as smooth as they could be, and they were, like, riding on air. And light in the bridle, oh, my God, I didn't have to do anything with the bridle. I didn't have to do anything with my legs. All I had to do was move them from my seat, and they learned to do it. And that's when I went bridleless on everything that we did, everything. I even went bridle with the drive lines hooked up to a cart. I decided I was not going to use the reins, but I was going to use my voice only. And I took them down the road and drove them. If they started to waver, I'd say, gee, get over to the right. Walk on. And then they'd get the straight line. Whoa. They'd stop square. Back. They'd back absolutely straight without using the reins at all. Even with the driving, it was just extraordinary. But see, that just goes to show you how exceptional these guys really are when you're a good partner and a good teacher.
0: Something that I have found out is that they are so incredibly smart, they'll pick it up the first time if you're clear in your request. And usually Absolutely. the writer or the handler will repeat and repeat and do repetitious instructions on it simply because the writer or handler hasn't mastered it themselves.
1: Exactly <laughs> no. right, Cindy. So you do have to be very cognizant about what you are doing when you are interacting with them because everything as simple as going to the stall and retrieving them makes a difference. Right if you play the game of chase and the pen then that's what you're gonna end up getting. Right. If you stand there and wait at the gate until they come and drop their head into that halter, then that's what you're going to get. And I'm seeing so many more people that are having tremendous Success with their animals because they're learning that they're learning everything that you're doing. And it brings to mind uh, one person that I like to follow on Facebook, Laurie Wilson and her mule, Toby Jack. He, they, she does all the things for his core strength and everything, but she primarily likes to do tricks and things that are fun to do with Toby Jack because he's such a character. Uh And, and, you know, she was working on having him sit down on a beanbag and then she'd dress him up for the different holidays and take pictures and post them on Facebook. But then she also started doing his dressage moves. She did it under saddle and, and all of that stuff. But then she started doing it bareback but he's a tall mule so she had a little bit of trouble getting on until she I don't know who taught who but I think Toby might have taught her this he put his head down and got right between her legs and launched her right up onto his back (laughs) there you go there you go. You know, and that brings to mind, you know, when I first got my rollerblades and I I only had a short stretch of sidewalk in front of the house. I didn't have much concrete around here because of the animals. And so, uh, but I wanted to get good on my rollerblades. So I got out maybe CT and she's my bridalist mule and she's gotten to the point where you can tell her what to do and she does it. So I just put her on the sidewalk, and I says, walk on. And I went behind her, and I grabbed her tail, and she pulled me down the sidewalk. And I thought, well, this is fun. And she goes, oh, you're so stupid. <laughs> 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 Way to go. But, you know, I, I mean, you see people that like to ski behind their animals in the snow and stuff. And and with me, I went ahead and got a tire, a tractor tire, tied it to a rope and had them dragging that. We drag each other around the hayfield. And it's lots of fun, but you got to realize that it might get a little dangerous if you start doing that stuff too soon. Yeah. They need to be able to have the core muscle strength to go ahead and pull that tire or pull you behind them and know that it's happening and be comfortable with it through the prior work that you've done with them. If you don't, then you experienced what you did. I read about it in one of your books where you grabbed somebody by the tail and just <laughs> try to go behind them and just got kicked in the face. You know, that's yeah. not fun. <laughs> but when you're first starting out, you don't know these things, you know. Oh, he knows me. He should be able to do this, you know, but... <laughs> but no, you can't do those things right off the bat, but you can do things to prepare for those kinds of interactions with your animal. And so the other thing that I did with my animals, and, and maybe CT too, before I got behind her and and grabbed her tail and had her drag me down the sidewalk, one of the things that I was thinking about is, okay, what if I get up into the mountains and for some reason she trips and I fall off and break my leg or my arm or something and I can't get back on. Well, nine times out of 10 when you're riding in the mountains, a cell phone won't do you any good anyway because there's no service up there. Right. So one of the things that I thought would be really important and I learned it again when I got sunstroke. I got sunstroke out there when the temperatures were over 100 and I was trying to uh, work three animals under saddle in the hourglass pattern. I'd tie up two and ride one at a time. But I got sunstroke uh, one time. Sir Lancelot came up to me, and I was sitting there on the sidelines on the ground just trying to cool off a little bit. And he put his head down and goes, I think we need to go in. What do you think? (laughs) It's like, I think you're right but I can't get up, and he goes, well, here, let me help you, (laughs) and he stuck his head underneath my arm, and he picked me up, (laughs) and then he walked me to the gate, and uh, I asked my assistant to go ahead and grab the other two mules and lead them back, but Sir Lancelot let me lean on him all the way back to the barn, and it gave me the idea that it might be really useful to teach my mules how to drag me from the stirrup. Because if I'm on the ground and I got a broken arm or a broken leg, then I'm not gonna be able to get back on. Right. But I might be able to loop my arm through the stirrup. I went ahead and taught my mules in a controlled situation how to drag me. I just kept my hands on the reins with one arm through the stirrup and asked them to walk on. Had them drag me a little ways. Then I went ahead, let go, went up to the front, gave him some oats and said, hey, this is great. You know,
0: (laughs) awesome.
1: You know, it is how you interact with your animal more than how you train them. It's developing that relationship where you care about them and they know that you do and negotiating with them as to how you're gonna approach all these different stages of so-called training and how you're gonna let them train you as much as you think you're training them. Because when you do, they're smart enough to learn. They're very good. I did a commercial for one of the things that I call "teach your mules amazing things." I didn't know I could teach my mules amazing things. Anyway, but I did, The first one I did was of uh, soldiers talking to each other inside a plane. Well, what I did was I put my trailer on top of a four-foot embankment that we built. And I put one mule in backwards and two mules facing him, and they all had army helmets on, and they're talking. <laughs> and they're going, oh, well, we got a parachute out of this thing, don't we? <laughs> but then I had to figure out how I was going to make them parachute. Oh, and no. so we, we had a sky track. And I put him in a rescue harness. I put B in a rescue harness. Boy, did she get mad at me about that? But she did it. she's I will concede to do this if you really want to do this <laughs> and we lifted her up in the air and slowly let the sky track come down to the ground and Then we pulled Photoshop on it and attached a parachute to it, and we put this commercial together that was really good. Another one we did was of these neighbors of mine walking down the road and seeing my house shake. And they're going, what's going on? And then it zooms in and it it shows one of my mules walking through the front door of the house and walking into the house. And then we shot some footage of her in the laundry room and I taught her how to put clothes in the washing machine. So we filmed her putting clothes in the washing machine and then we went into the kitchen and I had a bucket and a mop on the kitchen floor and we filmed her knocking over the bucket of water And spilling the water all over the floor and then picking up the mop and sweeping (laughs) the floor with the mop. And then we went into the living room uh, or actually the dining room where the dining room table was. And uh, I had her stand on another. i would used two meals for this. It was CG and B. And I had B for the dining room table and I made her swish her tail across the top of the dining room table for dusting. So we got the dusting that way. <laughs> and then we we jacked it up in Photoshop and made it all sparkle at the you end that the whole house was completely clean. It's so easy to teach these guys how to do whatever you wanna do and it makes interacting with them a whole lot of fun but then too when you want them to be all business they will be and that's why all my meals not only did all this fun stuff but they went into all these shows and beat the horses. I didn't quit a discipline until we beat the horses in that discipline. Wow. And we spent a lot twenty years doing that.
0: Sure. But sure.
1: my mules were extraordinary. Oh, and you they bet. still are. Oh sure. You know? You know, mules are exceptional. They can do everything that horses do and then some. And at Bishop Mule Days they rope steers from chariots with mules. Oh, my
0: gosh, yes, yes. Um, <laughs> Meredith, you are so extraordinary, and I thank you for coming back on. And you do have a website.
1: Yes, my website is at www.lucky3ranch.com. Three is spelled out, not the number three. We also have a Facebook page at Meredith Hodges Public Figure. Dot com I have a second friends page but it's maxed out but for that reason I go ahead and put the same thing on both pages so you will not get left out. If you want to write to me at Meredith at Lucky3Ranch.com, I always answer all my mail promptly and you will get an answer right away. And we have a second website for children and uh, children-minded adults at Jasper the Mule. <laughs> (laughs)
0: Of course, we will have you back on, no doubt. And thank you again, and you have a great day.
1: Well, you too,
0: Cindy. We always have so much fun. We do, thanks. If you'd like to be a guest on the show or a sponsor, send me an email. Everycowgirlsdream at gmail.com. Gotta go. My mule is looking for me. (laughs)
1: Meal Talk is an every cowgirl's dream production.